Good morning. A city at peace. A city whose gates are open to all. A majestic throne. You see, this city has many homes and many mansions. This city has a life-given river. As Jeff talked about, it's flooding, it's providing growth and sustenance, and also a gathering place for people to convene. A city with incredible infrastructure, and not just any infrastructure, but the finest of materials. Check this out. The city walls are made with some of the most precious of gemstone. Its roads are made with gold. This city has a beautiful park. It's got a garden with a tree of life, better than the one in Eden. A city with no more sickness. And yes, that includes the coronavirus. No more fighting, no more division. A city where all races and languages and ethnicities are assembled. A, singing, a city with singing, joy, and laughter, and the abolishment of death. This city is heaven, the city of God, God's inhabitation. This city is also a future home, and the scripture is clear that that city is accessible today right here on earth, right now. This truth is found all over scriptures, most commonly prayed, found in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. If you know it, why don't you say it with me? It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. However, heaven on earth may not be our current experience, right? Or reality. I mean, just turn on the news. There's a lot of social, political turmoil and economic uncertainty, so much loss and pain and grief and suffering. You see, hate, anger, and division seems to be the new norm. Our nation is, is in distress and our cities are broken. You see, this is our current experience. It's, it's not right. It's messed up. And this madness and chaos around us, it's not at all the way God designed it to be. You see, it's not right. It is not right. And speaking of not right, through about three years ago, before the actor Ryan Reynolds purchased the cell phone company Mint Mobile, they had these funny commercials that actually painted a great picture of what it looks like when things are not right. Why don't you join me in watching this? Wireless for 15 bucks a month. That's not right. It's right, all right. Finger dipping? That's not right. That did look good. Oh, that does look good. You gotta try this. Mmm, that's so good. Mint Mobile took what's wrong with wireless and made it right. We're easy, online, and just 15 bucks a month. Get your plan today at mintmobile.com. I love the look on a man's face. You can just see how disturbed he is. That is not right. All right, I have another one to show you. Let's watch this. Wireless for 20 bucks a month. <laughs> That's not right. 
It's right, all right. Now, chunky style milk, that's not right. I choose chunky style milk because it has the wholesome chunks growing kids need, unlike smooth style milk. Exactly. Hey, guys, save some chunks for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not right. Kind of like your wireless bill. Get Mint Mobile for 20 bucks a month with two uh, months free. That is not right. It's so true. You see, nobody should ever, 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 ever drink chunky style milk. And if you like that, we need to talk afterwards. I might, have, I might pray for you. Um, maybe you're making a connection. You know, the disturbance of when things are just off. You know, in the same way, finger dipping and drinking chunky style milk is not right. It feels off. Maybe your heart aches for the current condition of our world and the current, the current affairs of our country. It's off. Friends, it's not right. And not at all the way God designed us to be. You see, truth, beauty, righteousness, justice, and shalom have been vandalized. So what do we do, friends? Well, I have good news for you. Are you ready? The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Evil may put up its strongest fight, but the cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The Savior has come with the morning light. But the cross has the final word. See, friends, we are not moved or afraid by what is going on around us because we take great, great comfort in knowing how the story ends. And here's what I mean by this. You know, the, the cross already has already spoken. Evil may put up its strongest, strongest fight, but the cross already has the final work, the word. The work is finished, friends. The roaring lion has defeated the enemy. Jesus is victorious, and heaven meets the earth once again. Therefore, sickness or the coronavirus or any other virus or ailment for that matter will not have the final word. We also know that death, pain, suffering, or loss will not have the final word. We also know that hate, division, and every societal turmoil, bring it on, Satan, is that all you got? Because we know how the story ends. Amen? And you see, God is up to something. Boy, I, 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 just, I want you to see it. I want you to absorb it. In the words of my friend, Dr. Melinda Joy Mingo, she's a leader in this community. You guys need to get to know her. She often reminds me with these words. She says, your pain has a mission attached to it. The pain and the crisis of our day has a very specific mission attached to it. And I hope you, you, you recognize that. And this includes the pain of the American church the death of Western Christianity, and the church's identity crisis. And here's what I mean by identity crisis is that we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten whose we are. Our primary calling, our first love, and still God is up to something. In our world, in our nation, and in his church. You see, our current crisis is not going to last long. You know why? Because the Bible says so. But you know what it's doing? It's producing an eternal glory that far outweighs all the pain and the problems. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 
Jesus also lets us know that he is bringing about new wineskin, Luke 5, 37 to 39. And here's what that means, is that he is introducing a new world order. And it's why I couldn't be more hopeful than I am today. And I can't wait to tell you more. But first, let me say a few introductory words. My name is Yemi Mobilade. It's good to be with you today. I am a husband to a nursing educator and an ICU nurse, and she is a complete badass. Uh, she is. She's amazing. I'm also a dad to three beautiful young kids who keep me both young and old. Perhaps some of you know me in my role as a business leader or as a civil servant or as a pastor with Cause I Love You. Um, but what's important with all these roles is really what transcends all of this is what I'm for. I am for human flourishing. I am for city flourishing. I love our city for what it is and for what it could be. I am for unity despite the chaos of our times. I am for truth, beauty, and the shalom of heaven in our city. Pastor Jonathan and Becky, my heartfelt thanks for having me here today. I am a huge fan of your pastor. You guys are very lucky to have him. Um, yes. And Kyle, Cindy, so many of the team members at this church, you are all personal friends of mine. Um, Pastor Thomas and Jessica, who used to be the pastors of this church, they're dear friends as well. God is doing something really special in this amazing, in this amazing church. My wife and kiddos and I attend Discovery Church. I speak there often, and you know, there's a mutual respect and admiration our senior pastors have for each other. Um, our churches have similar calling, similar values, similar loves. I've, uh, my wife and I always said that, you know, if we were in attending Discovery, Pulpit Rock would be one of the churches that we would love to be a part of. So you have something good going on here. Amen? All right, let's keep going. So our primary text today contains one of those obscure sayings from Jesus, you know, one of those difficult to understand words. So I ask that you turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 to 12, or follow along on the screens. I also ask that you stand with me. Stand with me. Uh, and here's why I ask you to stand. Um, the practice of standing when God's word was read. It's an ancient practice. It's been done for many generations. And here's why. It's because we stand because of, as a sign of respect for it is God who is doing the speaking. We also stand as a posture of receiving God's word. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 11, 1 to 12. After Jesus giving his disciples these instructions, he moved on from there to teach his message in their cities. When John was in prison, he heard about the things Christ had done. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one come, who is coming, or should we look for someone else? Jesus answered John's disciples, go back and tell John what you hear and see. Blind people see again. Lame people are walking. Those with skin diseases are made clean. Deaf people hear again, and dead people are brought back to life. And poor people hear the good news. Whoever doesn't lose his faith in me is indeed blessed. As they were leaving, Jesus spoke to the crowds about John. What did you go to see in the desert? 
Tall grass swaying in the wind? Really, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Those who wear fine clothes are in royal palaces. Really, what did you go to see? Aha, a prophet. Let me tell you, he is far more than a prophet. John is the one whom the scripture says, I am sending my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way in front of you. I can guarantee this truth. Of all the people ever born, no one is greater than John the baptizer, yet the least important person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. From the time of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been seizing it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I am grateful for the opportunity to teach the gospel, your good news that is so priceless. Would you be gracious to me and give me confidence in the power of your gospel? I pray that the seed of your word will not return to you empty-handed, but will fall on good soil. Empower your children at Pulpit Rock to see clearly that we live in the light of the gospel, declaring its truth with our words and embodying truth with our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You see, friends, Jesus is indeed bringing about new wineskins. He is introducing a new world order. And this new world order is the ushering of the kingdom of God right here, right now, and its specific realization through the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the powers of the COVID pandemic, the powers of division, the powers of chaos and the powers of hell will not stop it. Do you believe that? I do too. And check this out. Did you know that every 500-ish year or so, the church has, faces a major crisis? It faces, it faces a major shakeup, usually marked by some kind of division or schism. That, you know, and this division or schism ends up in the dramatic change in the church. Some scholars actually believe that every 500-ish year or so is as if God is having a big, giant yard sale. He is to shake up the church, to get rid of its old stuff, its less than desirable self, to free it from its cultural and political compromises so that new growth may occur. You see, the first major shakeup was 2,000 years ago, around 30 AD. After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he gave the great commissions to his disciples, and a new movement was birth disrupting the religious establishment of the time. And this crisis led to the birth of the church. Now you fast forward about 500 years from, from that time period, and now we're in the year 476 AD, the Great Fall. This was the fall of the Western Roman Empire. You see, the world, this world event marked the end of the greatest superpower that has ever, the world has ever seen. And the fall of the Roman Empire resulted in the fall of the organized church. And this gave way to a new expression of churches called monasteries, birthed out of a desire to live holy lives because the church was so corrupt. And a little over 500 years from that time period, another major crisis happened in the church in 1054 AD. It's called the Great Schism. This tragically separated the Western from the Eastern church. 
However, this, this schism led to a major new thrust in church planting and growth in the church. And you fast forward 500 years from that time period, a fourth crisis happened in 1517 AD called the Great Reformation when Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. This sparked the Protestant Reformation, and this crisis led to a new movement of Christianity and denominations giving birth to hundreds of thousands of new Christians and a massive new thrust in church planting. You fast forward another 500 years, and that brings us to today. The church, again, is in crisis. Could God be reforming his bride once again? God's giant yard sale to shake up the church and to get rid of the less, our less than desirable self, to free his bride from her cultural and political compromises, to call us back to the centrality of Christ and to the mission of God, the Missio Dei, to discipleship and to prayer, all themes that have reemerged at every crisis of great awakening. And friends, this is a truth of Matthew of the Matthew 11 passage we just read, Jesus is telling his listeners that he is up to something. He is introducing a new world order, the reassuring of his kingdom once again right here, right now. And in the story, we learn that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, is locked up in prison and probably at the lowest point in his ministry, questioning, doubting, and deconstructing. You see, the socio-political climate of John and Jesus' ministry was in complete chaos. In fact, the Jewish faith had become a complex combination of social, political, and religious ideologies. Does that sound familiar? John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, with the current state of affairs in our society, I really got to know, are you the one, the Messiah, or is there somebody else that we should be looking for? Jesus' response to John's disciples is, tell him the evidence of what you see. Blind people are seeing again. Lame people are walking. People are getting healed. Even dead people are coming back to life. Then Jesus begins to brag about his cousin John and says, you know, John is more than a prophet. He's a complete badass. At least that's my interpretation of what Jesus said. You know, that John is the greatest of anyone that has been born that pretty much just means everybody that's ever lived on this earth. And yet Jesus insists that as great as John is, the least in the kingdom is greater, are greater than John. My mind is blown. Because I, and I wish we had time to unpack that life-given truth. But that's not even the most confusing part. Then Jesus exclaims these words in verse 12. He says, from the time of John the baptizer... Until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful people have been seizing it. In some other translation, it actually says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent people are seizing it. Um, is Jesus encouraging violence? And what exactly does that passage mean? And I'm glad you asked. You see, that passage is one of, the most, one of the more difficult words of Jesus to understand, and the key to unlocking this truth is the rabbinic interpre interpretation of Micah 2, 12 to 13. And this is what Jesus was hinting at. And it reads, Micah 2, 12 to 13, 
I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnants of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going, on, going out by it. The king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Okay, let's camp on this. Micah 2 is full of rich imagery. It's a picture of a shepherd penning his, his sheep for the night to protect them from wild animals and other forms of danger. So what they would do is gather stones and build a temporary holding pen, just like this picture. So they'll build a temporary holding pen for the night, or sometimes they find a full circular enclosure, just like this picture, and they adapt a natural barrier, like a cave, in the, in the, towards the side of, a, of, the, of the hillside. And, and what they do is in the morning to let the sheep out, the shepherd would literally have to break open the breach. So Micah says, he who breaks open the breach, this barricade and wall of rocks that has penned the sheep all night. And of course the sheep, they're anxious to get out and to be released from this holding pen. And they can't hardly wait to get out of this cramped space. So of course they don't wait. They rush out as quickly as possible, literally pushing and shoving and breaking through the breach knocking down more stones as they burst into the open space to follow the shepherd. So Micah 2 paints the words for, for Jesus' words. So his hearers, as Jesus said those words from the time of John the Baptist until now, the people listening around him would have understood the connection. So therefore, the translation closest to the words of Jesus would have read, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven breaks forth. And the ones who break forth after the king's shepherd are seizing it. Okay, I'm going to land this plane. You see, this rich imagery paints a picture of what King Shepherd Jesus is doing in our world, in our nation, in our church. I believe God's kingdom is breaking forth here and now. I believe that God, our good shepherd, is breaking through the sheep pen that has held the Western church captive for all these years. And I believe the kingdom is breaking through the confinement of hypocrisy, the confinement of religion, the confinement of judgment, the confinement of division, polarization, and legalism, and the loss of our Christ identity in the church today. I believe Jesus' kingdom is breaking through the church's enclosed club-like status of religious people whose politics and worldview and lifestyle matches theirs. I believe the church is in a season of reformation and transformation. Friends, this is a moment of new wineskins. And I believe that God is doing something new with his church. Isaiah 4:43:19 reminds us that it's clear. You know, God is saying, be alert. Be present. I am doing something new. It's bursting now. Don't you see it? And still, I believe the current crisis, the societal chaos, the pain, the suffering, the division, and every single societal turmoil is God using it to shake his people. He is getting rid of his old stuff. He's having a giant yard sale, people. And I believe that what we're experiencing today is a new reformation, a new transformation. 
a great something. I don't know what that is yet. A fresh expression of the Spirit today. A new world order. A new expression of His church emerging. His bride being renewed, freeing her from her compromises. He is renewing you and me. He is renewing every single person in this room. And oh, I hear his voice saying once again, I will build my church. And not even the strongest powers of hell can stop me. Bring it. Amen. <laughs> Friends, God is... <laughs> He's up to something, again, in our nation, in our world, and in his church. Friends, King Jesus is on the move. The kingdom of heaven is breaking forth. Jesus is rebuilding his church, and the ones who break forth are seizing it with him. Will you seize this opportunity to break forth with him? Will you follow him? Will you be a part of his army? Will you be a part of his militia, his reformation? Will you follow his lead out of the sheep pen? Friends, I, I'm not naive. I know things are not great, and perhaps some of you are feeling it more strongly today, maybe this past week. I know our nation is hurting. I know our cities are, are broken. I know our church is under crisis. I know we feel the pain in our families, in our families, and the perspective you and I need to have is not one of despair, but of encouragement and hope. You know Why? Because God's got it. He does. He has done it and will do it again. We know how the story ends. We do. John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but cheer up. I have overcome the world. So we're not giving up. How could we? How could we, even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, but on the inside, God is making new life. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. You see, these hard times, friends, are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. Friends, we know how the story ends. We do we know how the story ends. Amen? The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The Savior has come with the morning light. But the cross has the final word to reveal the kingdom coming. And to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you died. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit led the flame. Now this gospel and truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. And this is our response. Praise the Father, praise the Son. 
Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and breaking forth once again. You see, your will will be done on earth and in your church as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive the sins of the church as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. And deliver us from these weird and evil and crazy times we find ourselves in. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.